some glad morning when this life is over. Good evening, Tucson Mountain Baptist Church. Good evening. Very glad that each of you are here. Hey there, Brother Larry. Welcome back. Glad for you to be here. Let's bow for a, a brief prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for each person that is here, also for each one that is or will be listening to this uh, later. Lord, we ask you to, to uh, focus our hearts and minds upon that which brings you glory and uh, worship you and learn more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Old Rugged Cross.
Are we on? <laughs> we are. All right. I don't know if I left that on or not. The battery may not make it. <coughs> How are we doing tonight? Uh, get this up here. We're going to finish off tonight with forgiveness, but we're talking about anger and blame. And uh, next week, I need you guys to bring your Bibles. We're going to go back to a, a more of a Bible study Sunday school type format, but we're going to be diving into Daniel. So we're going to be looking at prophecy itself, and we'll be tying some modern day things into it as we go along. So you need to be on your toes. Bring your Bibles, bring your books, bring your thinking caps, because you guys are going to be teaching me. Okay? So tonight we're just talking about letting go of anger and blame and talking about some of the differences in blame and what that anger and blame does to us. Uh, right out of the bat, the, the very first thing, many of us express our anger by turning it inward into self-blame. That's that first villain, self-blame. We want to blame ourselves, And uh, we often feel justified in that behavior because... We think that we've done something wrong. And we believe the reality, the truth of the matter, and this is all on your worksheets tonight, is that somehow we're to blame. So therefore, rightfully, we need to be punished. Now, how many of you have ever had that problem? Nobody. Good. I see, I see some hands doing this. Like, I really don't want to admit it, but, you know... Um, I think we all have done that at one point or another. But it's, it's, it can be problematic. And we're going to talk about why here in a couple of minutes. Um, then there's another group of us that express our anger that turn it outward towards others. And that's that next villain. They turn it towards others. That is when we really can feel justified because we're taking out our vengeance and our anger on somebody else. And we want to blame them. And if we feel that somebody else is to blame for the problem, then we really feel justified because it's not us. So we want them punished. So if, if we're to blame or they're to blame, it still becomes a blame game. And that becomes really, really dangerous. Because usually it's, it can be both. It's not just one or the other. And that's the hard part to figure out. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How many of us have ever at one point or another got into a, a conflict or a verbal battle and you said something and later regretted saying it? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's, everybody, everybody, pretty much. <clears throat> I see those hands going. <laughs> um, there's a statement there, often self-blame is a manifestation of the internalizations of trauma we have endured. And a lot of times we'll take and we'll internalize things and we'll sit on them and they'll stew and they'll simmer and the longer they stew and simmer, the worse they get. And it's not, it's not healthy, but we do it anyway. And it's really hard to break that. Um, we may blame ourselves for being ill or we may believe that illness is a punishment for something we've already done wrong or bad. 
And sometimes it's hard to break that mindset. So as we're as we're talking about some of these things tonight, I just want us. This is just a review of a lot of stuff we've looked at over the past eight to ten weeks, and this is a final cap of this. So if you have questions or comments or anything about this, I want you to, you know, let me know and let's talk about those as we go along. Okay. Um, Ephesians 4:31 says that we need to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander along with every other form of malice. If we, could, if we could get rid of our rage and anger when it starts to well up and not let it simmer, we could resolve about 95% of our issues up front. But the problem is we usually sit and stew and simmer on them, like I said a minute ago. And that causes a lot of, it causes a lot of angst, internal angst in us. <clears throat> Sometimes we blame ourselves for getting angry even. And anger is not necessarily right or wrong. It's how you respond or react. And if we would act on things rather than react on things, we're going to talk about that a little bit Sunday. But if we would act rather than react, it wouldn't be as volatile in most instances. But we don't usually do that correctly. Um, Anger and blame directed against ourselves is self-victimization. That's that next villain, self-victimization. And here's the problem. It, it's actually a form of self-punishment. We're going back to that mindset for a minute. We punish ourselves because we blame ourselves because of what went wrong in a relationship or a situation. And sometimes there was, there was no right or wrong answer to that situation. But we want to we want to lay the blame somewhere, so that takes place. All right. The way out of self blame is to learn to accept that not everything in life, not everything in life relates specifically to us personally. <laughs> Let that sink in for just a second. Romans 12.3 says, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Listen, a lot of times, many times, most times, the things that happen simply happen. It has nothing to do with anything we did or anything we didn't do. We don't have that much power. We don't have that much influence. We think we do a lot of times, but that's not a proper evaluation of our self-worth. And we need to be very honest and direct about that. So that's what that in Romans 12:3 is talking about. Um, we're just not that powerful. Anybody have any thoughts about what we've talked about so far? Yes, no, maybe so. You agree, disagree? Yeah, okay. Um, the perpetual need to have an explanation. We typically are very uncomfortable when we're angry or we're trying to blame somebody or somebody's trying to blame us. Or we're trying to blame ourselves. So it it's, it's becomes a major source of discomfort. But here's the problem. <clears throat> it reflects our need to control the situation. And 
you guys clarified for me weeks ago that you were all a bunch of control freaks. <laughs> no. And we, we all struggle with that to a degree because we want to control what's going on in our lives and we like to think we have control. But if we're honest and we do that self-evaluation correctly, we realize we don't have nearly as much control as we think we have about, about ourselves or about life or about other people, especially other people in life in general. The only thing we really can control is ourselves and how we respond and act rather than react. So I'm going to be touching on that several times because that's a key component in this process. Um, there's a lot of times when if there's anybody to blame and we can lay it on somebody else, that's exactly what we're going to do. Because it takes, it takes the weight off of our shoulders. And while we want to think the world is fair, the world is not really fair. How many of you have told your kids or your grandkids that? You know, that life is not fair. Yeah. And it's, it's what's, their, what's their response when you tell them that? How come? Why? Why? Yeah. Isn't life supposed to be fair? Are we not seeing the effects of that throughout society today? I mean, if we really delve, dig deep for a minute, that's, that's part of the issue. Um, fairness doesn't exist. It never did. But there's a lot of people that wear masks that think it should um, when people get furious and, and angry and they start shouting, why does this happen to me? The real question is, why shouldn't it happen to you? And we often think about, well, but, but our typical response is when something happens to us, it's like, why did this happen to me? What is your response when that takes place? When you're between a rock and a hard spot and something happens to you that you don't expect it, why do we ask ourselves that question? I want your input here on this one. Why God? Why God? Okay. He's the one who knows why. Leads me through it. You know, it's not just a rhetorical question. Okay. Show me is what gets what I'm asking. Okay. Why do you think? Why do you think stuff happens to us? Let's try that question. We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Okay. Yeah. To help us grow. How does God teach us, correct us, and move us in the direction he wants us to go? Sometimes, to, knocks, you sometimes he knocks you down. Yeah. See, God moves us through trials, troubles, and tribulations. I've said this before. Life is all about a test. And we're going to talk about that some more Sunday, too. Because Sunday is, is Father's Day. And dads, men, be prepared. Uh, we're going to talk about what it really means to be a spiritual leader in the home. And, and for some of us, we didn't, we didn't do as good a job as we could have or should have. For some of the younger men, I'm hoping it'll give them some course corrections. But it's never too late. And I want to say that today. It's never too late to be the spiritual leader you need to be. Okay? It seems like every time I do a job, I'm to learn something again. I'm 
And it's, it's, it's an ongoing process. It never ends until we get to go home and be with him. And, and I think a lot of people, it's funny because I talked to some people on the phone, and I'm, I'm counseling with some folks from another church, and their perception is not so much just why, why, should, why did this happen to me or why should this happen to me. Their perception is, well, I'm a child of God. I shouldn't have any problems. <laughs> I can't find that anywhere in there. I look at all the heroes of the faith, and I mean, they all have problems. But there was a reason behind the problems. There was a purpose and a plan. And I think sometimes we miss the opportunity to think about that. So what is the payoff of self-blame? The payoff is, again, self-control. A sense of self-control. And while we want that for ourselves, we can't control other people or other situations or other things that are going on in life. The only thing we have the opportunity to really come close to controlling is ourself. But that requires discipline. And a lot of times, a lot of people struggle with discipline, self-discipline. They love dishing it out to other people. But they don't do well with disciplining themselves. So, um, the thought behind that is if I am powerful enough to have caused a problem, then I should be powerful enough to stop it. That's the thought process behind that. Um, blaming is an attempt to get out from under, blaming someone else especially, is an attempt to get out from underneath the weight of poor decisions in our life. And it, it, it often leads to the second part of that, which is we try, to, we try to make deals with God. Well, if you get me out of this, I'll do this. Most of you are giggling and laughing. You know that doesn't work, right? And you know that's not what God is anticipating or expecting out of our lives. But sometimes that's what we do. When you blame yourself, you found the reason for everything bad that ever has happened. And that's unrealistic. You can try to control your own behavior, and you can try to control someone else's behavior so that it won't happen again. But it, but it usually does happen again. It's just a different, to a different degree. Because we've learned some discipline, but we haven't learned complete discipline. Okay? Um, when self-blame shifts to blaming others, the most logical people to blame is first of our parents because they're the ones that brought us up. They caused the problem. And then after you get married, you blame your spouse. Are you blame a coworker? Are you blame, blame your employer? Are you blame, and the list goes on and on and on. So it becomes a never ending cycle. And that's when it becomes a real problem when you just start blaming everybody else for your actions or your poor decisions. So I got a, a little byword in there. Parent blaming stands in the way of addressing problems in a constructive, creative way. When we run out of parent blaming and spouse blaming, we start to blame God, faith, and genetics. It's our genes, right? So you're still going back and you're really blaming God. 
So you have to be really careful. Blaming persons and powers outside of yourselves for our troubles makes us perpetual victims. Think about that statement for a second. Victims who were raised by victims and grow up to marry victims produce victims unless they become willing to change. It just becomes more and more victims that you are perpetually making. And that becomes even a bigger problem. Blaming everyone else in an attempt to avoid taking responsibility for your own actions. Now we never do that, right? Nobody? As well as finding, helping find our part in the solution. That becomes a real sticky wicket right there. Because if we blame someone else and we can squarely lay that blame, let's say it is truly somebody else's blame. But all we want to do is lay the blame, then how often are we really looking for a solution to the problem? That's a question, I'm hoping for an answer. <laughs> Not very often. It's, it, it, it becomes a fine line. And we have to be realistic with our evaluation of ourselves, like I said a minute ago, but we also have to be realistic about the evaluation of the other people. Do, do we all have weaknesses? Do you all have strengths? Are all those weaknesses and strengths the same with everybody? No. So it's imperative we understand that when we're dealing with someone else that we know has a weakness. Let's, let's, let's say it's alcohol. We just, we just use an addictive behavior. Let's say it's alcohol. And you know somebody has that weakness, and you have them out to dinner with you, and you go out to dinner, and you order something to drink in front of them. Well, is that the right thing to do? That's not even the right thing to do according to Scripture, is it? because you're, you're, you're pandering to your brother's weakness, our sister's weakness. So we have to be very, very careful. It's the same thing with actions and attitudes. We have to remember that those people that are struggling in areas of their life, everybody's got a different set of baggage they're carrying. And we don't know what that other person's baggage is. And sometimes... If you sit and you listen long enough, you'll find out real quick. But you have to be gentle and not judgmental. And that's the key. Okay? Many find it hard to assume responsibility because the very word responsibility implies assuming the blame, at least for part of it, of what went wrong. Those that don't do that, they often feel accused and become very, very defensive. I know none of you would ever become defensive. In regard to anger, there's, there's some people that don't really experience or haven't experienced or expressed much anger in their lives because they didn't really feel it safe to do so. <clears throat> and I'm just going to touch on a couple of things here. If you had parents or you were raised by grandparents that were, were semi-volatile or volatile and would lash out verbally and would come across as being very angry about certain things, you may not be able to express anger in a proper way. Or you may express it, or you may not express it at all. 
because you're fearful of how that anger may come out. That happens with a lot of different people in a lot of different instances. So you have to be very, very careful of that. I got a statement there that says, you might want to sit with your anger for a while to practice expressing it appropriately, to explore where it came from and see how it might help or how it may hurt you when it's expressed. Because if you express it, you need to do it appropriately, not inappropriately. I mean, God's word even says, be angry and sin not. So there's correct ways to do it and there's incorrect ways to do it. If your anger is primarily against yourself, you may find that you desperately seek someone else to blame. And that blame game, once again, is very futile and irresponsible and it's a waste of time, energy, and effort, in my humble opinion. I've seen it, I've seen it in counseling sessions too many times. Two people, they'll be pointing the finger at each other. You know. Luke 6, 37, 38 says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be forgiven to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I believe that verse talks about coming with the good things and the bad things. If you're going to judge and condemn someone else and be very harsh and critical, those people and other people may come back and be very harsh and critical towards you also. So that's why I say be gentle and not judgmental. And that's, do we see that in today's society much? What do we see in today's society? We see a lot of anger. We see a lot of blame. We see a lot of people being very harsh and very hurtful. I read some things today that boggled my mind in regard to how things are being talked about online and said to one another in social media. And that, that always just amazes me. But there's a sense of anonymity uh, there that they think it's okay to say and do all those things because it's not going to come back and bite them. So they don't worry about it. But then you have the ones that do it in public in front of all these people, and they don't care. And it, it, all, a majority of society outside of the church and many inside the church are very angry about the way the world's going. And we have to, we have to be watchful of that and mindful of that as we're dealing with other people. Outside and inside the church, yeah, Warren. I went into a doctor's office yesterday with my wife, and up on the on the wall is a great big poster, and it spells out the meaning of civility <laughs> because there have been so many incidents of swearing and and people losing their cool over you know medical issues or whatever. Mm -hmm. To see a doctor, a group of professionals, have to put up a sign like that in a in a doctor's office, it kind of says something about what you're just talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It, it, and guys, I know Scripture tells us it's going to get worse. But it, we sit and we look and we 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 wonder in our mind. And, uh, you know, 
what's it going to be like when our grandkids hit our age? Are, are they even going to make it that long? Because of the uncivility and inhumanity of man towards man? It boggles my mind. Like I said, I was reading some things today that just boggled, boggled my mind. Blew me away. Remember, forgiveness takes time and timing. And that's what this whole series has been about, forgiveness. It's about learning to forgive and being able to forgive and moving on. Not necessarily forgetting. God is great at forgiving and forgetting. Sometimes it's very difficult for us to forget. And that's because of the deepness of the wounds or the damage that's been done to us. But we need to be able to forgive and move on. And sometimes, like we said initially, we have to put up boundaries and barriers to protect ourselves so that it doesn't happen to us again by the same individuals. Some are not ready to forgive. Many are ready and don't know how to forgive. We need to remember the following things, and I've given you a whole list of those things. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. We need to learn to accept our feelings, our own feelings. But we also need to remember to be mindful of the other person's feelings. Those harsh and hateful and, and mean-spirited things we can say. And sometimes we can open our mouth and that negative nugget just falls out and we stand there and we're like, ah, what did I just say? But it happens. So we have to be very, very mindful of that. We need to learn when to express those feelings appropriately. I used to tell the youth all the time, especially if they'd get into little squabbles with each other. I said, look, I understand how you're feeling, but our feelings are often faulty. And I tell the grandkids that sometimes when they're bickering with each other. Feelings are, are sensitivities. And we have to be careful about those sensitivities when we're dealing with other people. Doesn't mean we have to put a lid on it, but we need to deal with those things appropriately. We need to take responsibility for your intentions and motives when you're expressing yourself. And that's digging deep because those underlying intentions and those underlying motives can come out in a very demeaning way to other people. So you need to think before you open your mouth again. That, that can sometimes be tough. We need to be willing to accept responsibility for ending the conflict even if you're right. Look, we, we have the guidelines, especially within a body of believers and with another group of believers, of how to handle conflict. It's Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. It tells us, And if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. Go to them first alone. It tells you straight up. It gives us the formula. But do people do this? No. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Now that doesn't mean you take two of your best buds and you go see them and you browbeat them into submission. 
That's not what it says. It says you take two, you take two or three neutral people that know you and know the other party, and you say, look, here's the issue, here's the problem, and if they listen to you, fine. But if they don't, then you've got two other witnesses at least that have heard your statement and heard their statements. And then you be quiet about it. You do not gossip. You put a lid on it. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, this is where it really gets sticky. Because most people will not go this extra step. And if he refuses listen, to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Now, what, what was the deal with the Jews and the Gentiles and the tax collectors? Say it again. IRS. IRS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were treated like the IRS. Exactly. They, they, the Jews and the Gentiles, did they get along? Not until the church came about, right? And even then, the Jews were very leery of the Gentiles. But you know what? It says, it says treat them differently. They're not to be treated the same. They're not to be even thought of and treated the same as a brother in Christ. They're to be treated as a foreigner. and So you don't have anything. You disassociate yourself with them is what you're saying. Truly I say to you, whatever you so bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything they may ask, it shall be done for them, for my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. We have to remember that the unity is there, but we need to follow the prescribed processes is rocket science in here no but is relational things in here is how to live the Christian life in here is to how to get by in this crazy world we live in in here yeah but do we use it do we put it into practice that's the question well some people don't even read it that's true the other thing is avoid anger as a control device. Screaming at people so they will give in or back down is not an appropriate conflict resolution strategy. Have you ever seen that take place? I watched a husband and wife one time, and he completely de demoralized her. And I asked if I could talk to him privately and... and we had, we had a real nose-to-nose -nose conversation for a couple minutes because his yelling and his screaming and his getting excited and overly volatile, she just shut right down. And there was, that counseling session was done because she was a basket case. And that type of situation happens when people do not have any discipline or self-control. But the minute she walked out of the room, he was as calm. So he did. He could control it when he wanted to. Define what you will and won't accept from others. 
Listen, there's nothing wrong with setting boundaries. There's nothing wrong with putting those parameters in place if you're comfortable with those. And if you're not comfortable with those, you need to tell the other party. Keep the focus on the issues. Self-focus is, is not the same as self-blame. Don't, don't be getting, and it leads into my next thing. Avoid statements such as, you made me do that. Okay, don't start the blame game. What you, what you want to keep in mind is that you want to focus on the issue, not one another, when you're trying to resolve those type of conflicts. Because that's the only way you're really going to resolve it. If you start bantering back and forth, well, you made me do this, or you, or, or, or I did that, and then because of that, you did this, and you know, it's going nowhere. You're not going to resolve the issue. Because you really want to work on resolving the issue. Again, respond and act. Don't react. Especially to perceived accusations. And this is a big one. Learn to listen. You ever had somebody that you start a conversation with them and all of a sudden it's a, and you can't get a word in edgewise? They haven't learned to listen yet. But a lot of times we have to learn to listen. And that doesn't mean just hearing. You know, Kathy and I have this discussion sometimes. She says I'm wrong, but that's okay. I can hear, I can hear things on the outside. But when I stop and really listen, it's more specific. It's more specific. And it's more identifiable. And I really have to listen to what's being said or, or to understand it. So we need to learn to listen. Deal directly with the source of the conflict, avoid third parties, and don't gossip. I've seen gossip kill things quicker than anything in the world. And I've told you guys this before. If you ever have somebody and you hear a rumor or a gossip started, you need to go to that individual that you hear it from and say, hey, can you tell me where you heard that from? Now, we, we had that a while back when I was going to retire at 65, and I said, you're two years too late. And they said, but we understood you're going to retire when you're 65. I said, I'm already 67. We're in, you're in, you're in bad water here. So you have, to, you have to backtrack and find out where that story got started in order to resolve it. Okay? Uh, be prepared in shifts in relationship dynamics. That's always a little touchy. Because sometimes you may have somebody who's been a real close friend and, and you have a conflict and you just can't resolve it, those dynamics in that relationship are going to change. And you, and you have to be mentally prepared for it. There may be forgiveness, but that forgetting may not take place on either side of the fence. Um, if you've always been angry with that person, you may find it hard to accept any kind of forgiveness or kindness. Don't blame yourself for what was done to you and don't blame others for what you did to them or yourself. It's done. What you need to do is try to resolve it and, and solve it. Don't focus on what you should have done. That's living in the past. Like I said, it's, it's over. Identify with other people. Don't compare. 
The minute you start comparing yourself with other people, well, they did this, I did that, it's, it's going to become a problem. Um, lots of us are angry because we think we didn't get as good as the deal as someone else did. We think we were mistreated and life, again, life is not fair. We didn't get what we thought we deserved, that's right. Learn to be flexible. Learn to be willing to change. You know, our growth as a Christian is about change, is it not? And we are to be changing to become more like who? And, you know, the more I read, the more I study, the more I realize he was a very tolerant person. Yeah. So learn to be flexible. Identify sources of misinformation. Again, stereotypes, lies, rumors. Try to track them down if you can and try to squelch them. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. Let go of the need to always be right. My wife says I'm right part of the time. I said I'm right part of the time too. Just disagree on which part? We, we do agree on which part most of the time. Grieve. We sometimes use anger to avoid the pain of this necessary process. If you're in a relationship of any kind and, and it's just not going to resolve itself and you can't, you can't resolve it and you need to separate and, and that shift in that relationship dynamic takes place, it's okay to grieve that loss. Okay? But you need to go through that process. Don't just say, well, it's, it's okay, I'll get over it. You know, take the time to grieve that loss, okay? Um, be polite, be civil, respect God's divinity in each one of us, especially if it's a Christian brother or sister. Now, here's the thing. If it's not a Christian brother and sister, then you have to remember their mental and thought process is not the same as your mental and thought process. They may come at it from a completely different angle, and they may not have any of these tools or equipment or thought processes to put into play. So they're not going to be planned by the same rule book you are. Keep that in mind. Okay? But you still need to be polite. You still need to be civil and respectful. Uh, seek healing of your perceptions. Often our perceived slights against us are exaggerated or imagined or over-imagined. I have, I, I occasionally, sometimes I get tunnel vision. If I've got nine irons going in ten fires and I'm thinking about things and I walk by somebody, I've had people come to me after service to say, are you mad at me? <laughs> no. Well, you didn't speak to me this morning. You didn't say hello. And I, you, just, you just walk right by me. I said, um, probably because I was thinking of about three other things and just, you know, I, I, I don't even remember seeing you. I'm sorry. You know, I but sometimes those things can be hurtful to other people, and we need to try to learn to be sensitive. I'm, 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 I struggle with that. I'll be honest. I, I do. Um, learn to forgive others and yourselves. Okay? If you're going to forgive the other people, you have to forgive yourself. And we talk about that a lot at the onset, that a lot of times a lot of people struggle with forgiving themselves. 
But I want to tell you something. If you say you can't forgive yourself, you're saying you're bigger than God. Because if God can forgive you, you can forgive yourself. Okay? Don't ever, don't, don't ever get bigger than God. That's a mistake. All right? All right. Questions, thoughts? Guys, are... When you were talking about civility, it made me think of that song that was real popular back. Um, I know in the 70s, might, maybe before that, is let there be peace on earth. Yeah. 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 And it. then oftentimes, my wife and I will, and this is at least once a week, but usually more than that, We'll be talking about different, you know, relationship things, families and whatnot. And we'll say, we can't fix so-and-so, and we can barely even fix us. <laughs> and sometimes that's true. You know, there's, there's, there's some people that you, you, you're going to wear yourself out trying to fix the issue. And you have to remember, and you're right, Dennis, we can't hardly fix ourselves, so there, we shouldn't burn up a lot of time trying to fix somebody else. But when I was first started counseling, one of the funniest things that ever happened to me, and I, I, I would have wives or husbands bring their spouse and say, I want you to fix them. I'm going, wait a minute. We need to stop and have a chat here a little bit. That's not my job. It's not what I'm here for. Um, but we have to remember, we really can't fix other people. We can, we can learn to discipline ourselves. We can learn to be gentle and not judgmental. And we can learn to become more and more like Christ each and every day. But that in and of itself takes exactly what Mary said. You've got to read it and you've got to put it into practice. Okay? Other thoughts, comments? Before we go to prayer. Warren. Uh, something you said on, on the last page, you learned to listen. I heard it a testimony from a preacher that I actually got to know in the Philippines. He has a blog, and he was talking about witnessing to, to people, sharing the gospel with people. And he said that's the number one thing to do because everybody wants to talk about themselves. If you get them talking about themselves, they're, they're more likely to listen to you if you listen to them. That's absolutely right. I agree with that 100%. Everybody has a story. Yeah, Perry. We have some, uh, a couple friends from our, our old church that they ran a business together, so their, their, their office was in their house upstairs, and she was talking to him about this and that and the other, and he was going, uh-huh, uh-huh, and she, she finally she said, listen to me with your face. Listen to me with your face. <laughs> Look me eye in the eye. When you're talking to your kids, yeah, they're all looking. So often we take their faces in our hands and go, yeah, listen. All right. Anything else? That's pretty good. Most men, I do not think, are very good multitaskers. And I'm, I'm not a good multitasker. And, it, you know, if I'm doing something and then my wife starts saying something, I'm not going to catch the first part of it. <laughs> you know, what did you say? You know? 
Sometimes that's very true. Yeah. All right. You ready to go to praise and prayer time? Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's go ahead and have our closing song. Don't forget, next week, we're dying. And we're going to sing it twice. And I don't know if you're familiar with this song. It's in the, the red hymnal that Paul just recently uh, ordered. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. Dear Lord, we just thank you for uh, this special time that we've had together. Lord, we ask you to be with all the various different uh, uh, prayer request. Lord, we thank you so much for the praises. Lord, we just thank you so much for bringing uh, Larry here after uh, after all that he's been through. And Lord, thank you for uh, for Shelby and Leonard and Kat and all the different ones that have have been such a blessing to him. And Lord, thank you that we are family. And we, we care about one another. And, uh, Lord, we ask you to be with us all and uh, guide us uh, safely. Lord, we ask you to be with those that are going to be uh, on the road uh, traveling and those that are going to be, uh, let's see, traveling to Midland, Texas, and also traveling here. And, uh, Lord, we just give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful evening, everyone. Life is sore, I fly away.